If you would please take your Bibles and turn with me to Leviticus chapter 16. As we continue in the book of Leviticus tonight, we're in uh, Leviticus 16. Moses writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says this, Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they had approached the presence of the Lord and died. The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he shall not enter at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat which is on the ark, or he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. Aaron shall enter the holy place with this, with a bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen tunic And the linen undergarment shall be next to his body, and he shall be girded with the linen sash and attired with the linen turban. These are holy garments. Then he shall bathe his body in water and put them on. He shall take from the congregation of the sons of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Then Aaron shall offer the bull for the sin offering, which is for himself, that he may make atonement for himself and for his household. He shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord, and the other lot for the scapegoat. Then Aaron shall offer the goat on which the lot for the Lord fell and make it a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot for the scapegoat fell shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it and to send it into the wilderness as the scapegoat. Then Aaron shall offer the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his household. And he shall slaughter the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself. He shall take a firepan full of coals of fire from upon the altar before the Lord, and two handfuls of finely ground sweet incense, and bring it inside the veil. He shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the ark of the testimony. Otherwise he will die. Moreover, he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side. Also in front of the mercy seat he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall slaughter the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, and bring its blood inside the veil, and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. He shall make atonement for the holy place because of the impurities of the sons of Israel and because of their transgressions in regard to all their sins, and thus he shall do for the tent of meeting which abides with them in the midst of their impurities. When he goes in to make atonement in the holy place, no one shall be in the tent of meeting until he comes out, that he may make atonement for himself and for, this, uh, and for his household and for all the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it, and shall take some of the blood of the bull and the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar on all sides. With his finger he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it seven times and cleanse it from the impurities of the sons uh, of the sons of Israel, excuse me, and from the impurities of the sons of Israel, consecrate it. 
when he finishes atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall offer the live goat. Then Aaron shall lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the sons of Israel and all their transgressions in regard to all their sins. And he shall lay them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who stands in readiness. The goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to a solitary land. He shall then release the goat in the wilderness. Then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting and take off the linen garments which he had put on when he went into the holy place and leave them there. He shall bathe his body with water in a holy place and put on his clothes and come forth and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make atonement for himself and for the people. Then he shall offer up in smoke the fat of the sin offering on the altar. The one who released the goat as the scapegoat shall wash his clothes and bathe his body with water. Then afterward he shall come into the camp. But the bowl of the sin offering and the goat of the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be taken outside the camp, and they shall burn their hides, their flesh, and their refuse in the fire. Then the one who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body with water, and then afterward he shall come into the camp. This shall be a permanent statute for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall humble your souls and shall not do any work, whether the native or the alien who sojourns among you. For it is on this day that atonement shall be made for you to cleanse you. You will be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It is to be a Sabbath of solemn rest for you, that you may humble your souls. It is a permanent statute. So the priest who is anointed and ordained to serve as priest in his father's place shall make atonement. He shall thus put on the linen garments, the holy garments, and make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar. He shall also make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. Now you shall have this as a permanent statute to make atonement for the sons of Israel for all their sins once every year. And just as the Lord had commanded Moses, so he did. Now, in coming to Leviticus 16 tonight, we might say that we come to the central point, the high point of the book of Leviticus and perhaps even of the entire Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. If you think about the, uh, the course of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, obviously Leviticus is the third book, and there in the middle, chapter 16, pretty close to the center of the book of Leviticus. And if you think about the, the flow of the narrative, Genesis 3, man being kicked out of the garden, out of the presence of God, Leviticus 16 describes how man gets back into the presence of God. As the Old Testament scholar Michael Morales put it, without question, the Day of Atonement was at the heart of Israel's calendar and life. It is also the structural and thematic center of the Pentateuch, the literary summit to, to which and from which the narrative drama ascends and descends. Indeed, the high priest's narrated entry within the veil of God's house is, for the reader, an entrance within the inner sanctum of the Pentateuch's theology, the keystone of the cultic system of forgiveness of sins. 
After the expulsion from the Garden of Eden, this entrance into the tabernacle of the Holy of Holies presents the nearest human approach to God's presence. This is, this is a big deal here. This is very important for us in terms of understanding the worship of the Old Testament. This is important for us in terms of understanding the work of God in redeeming a people for himself and reconciling an estranged people to himself. And as such, this is important for us in understanding the work of Christ on our behalf. And so let's seek first to understand the, the context in which these things take place. Then we'll look at the ritual itself and the purpose for the ritual laid out in the terms of this chapter. And then after that, we'll seek to see how these things are the shadows of the great reality that are found in the atonement made by Jesus Christ. And so first, and very briefly, the, the context for these commands. We're told in verse 1 how the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, had been struck down by the Lord as recorded in this, uh, back in chapter 10 when they presented strange fire before the Lord. Now, a while back when we were considering chapter 10, we considered multiple possibilities as to the precise nature of the sin of Nadab and Abihu. And while we'll not go into all of those possibilities again here tonight, suffice it to say that they made an unauthorized approach to the Lord. We're not allowed to do that. The Lord is holy and must be treated and reverenced as such. Chapter 16 then lays out the way in which the high priest was to approach the Lord in the Holy of Holies of the tabernacle once a year on the Day of Atonement. And though that name, the Day of Atonement, uh, is not given in this particular chapter, nevertheless we do find that specific designation given for this day in Leviticus 25, verses 27 and 28, and uh, in Leviticus 20, uh, 25.9. And along with the context, let me also, uh, just here at the start, lay out some of the geography. As we're, as we're thinking about this, just thinking about the, the geography of the tabernacle and the way things were set up. And so, outside of the tent was the, was the altar of burnt offering. And we'll see, we'll see references to that altar here. And so, there's couple of different altars, and so it can be a little bit tricky to, to keep in mind which is which. And so outside the door is the, is the altar of burnt offering. Inside the, uh, the tent, inside the, the first section of the tent, you have the, the altar of incense. And, uh, and this was where uh, the blood was to be sprinkled from, from sin offerings that we saw back in Leviticus chapter 4. And... Beyond that, then, is what is called the veil. The veil marks the way into uh, the holy place. Sometimes we refer to it as, as the holy of holies or as the most holy place. Here in Leviticus 16, it is called simply the holy place. But it's talking about the, the innermost part of the tabernacle, where the Ark of the Covenant was, covering the Ark of the Covenant is the mercy seat, and this is where uh, the presence of the Lord dwelt in the cloud. And so just keeping that, keeping that geography in mind, that outside you have... The, the altar of burnt offering, inside the, the first section of the tent of meeting, you have the altar of incense, and then inside the holy place, or the most holy place, is the, the mercy seat covering the Ark of the Covenant. I think, I think that will be helpful to us to keep those things in mind as we, as we see what's going on here. And so, then let's consider the, the ritual 
itself. The ritual itself is, is outlined in the details given in the chapter. Aaron is not allowed to go into the holy place inside the veil at any time. That was the place where the token of the Lord's presence, the cloud, dwelt over the mercy seat. And if Aaron went in in an unauthorized way, he would die, just as his sons had died. Rather, he was to go in on the tenth day of the seventh month, as seen in verse 29. He was to enter the holy place, uh, first of all, with a bull for himself, as a sin offering for himself and his household. He was also to bring a ram for a burnt offering. As a sinful man, he needed to make atonement for himself. And notice in verse 4 there how he was to be dressed. He was dressed relatively simply in comparison to his normal priestly attire. He was simply to be dressed in the holy linen tunic, the linen undergarments, the linen sash, and the linen turban. The, the priestly ephod and the breastpiece were apparently not to be worn on this occasion. The sacrifice of the bull for himself and his household is uh, described there in verses 11 through 14. He's to slaughter the bull, and then according to verse 12, is to take a fire pan of coals from the altar and place upon that fire pan of coals two handfuls of finely ground sweet incense. And this incense then was to go up in smoke, forming, as it were, a protective cover to cover the mercy seat and to shield him from the presence of God. The reason is given uh, there at the end of verse 13. He is to, to offer up this, this cloud of incense that, the, uh, that this cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the ark of the testimony, otherwise he will die. This is serious business going into the presence of God, and so he needs this protective cover to uh, acknowledge that he needs to be shielded as a sinner from the presence of God and the glory of God. And then with respect to the slaughtered bull, he was to take some of its blood and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east and in front of the mercy seat, and he was to sprinkle the blood seven times, as seen in verse 14. And in addition to the sacrifices that Aaron was to offer for himself, he was also to take from the congregation of the sons of Israel two male goats, one uh, uh, for, for a sin offering, the one for the Lord and the one for the scapegoat, and then also one ram for a burnt offering. And if you've noticed in what we've said so far, there, there are two rams, one ram for a burnt offering for Aaron and his household, one ram for a burnt offering for the sons of Israel. But comparatively, these rams receive very little attention throughout the chapter. We do, uh, we do see them uh, offered up later on in verse 24, but the main focus is on the sin offerings here, the bull for Aaron and his household, and then the two goats for the congregation. In regard to those two goats, we see in verses 7 through 10 how they are presented to the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Lots are cast for them to determine which one of them would be for the Lord and which one for the scapegoat. The goat upon which the lot for the Lord fell would be the sin offering, and the goat for which the lot of the scapegoat fell would be presented alive before the Lord. Atonement would be made upon it, and it would be sent out then into the wilderness. Now, there have been uh, some discussion among interpreters of this chapter whether uh, this word, which most of our English translations render as scapegoat, would be the best rendering, or whether it uh, should be uh, rendered simply as Azazel, which that's, that's what the Hebrew is, Azazel. And uh, the word itself only appears four times 
in the Old Testament, all of them here in chapter 16. And as I understand it, the, our English word scapegoat uh, comes, from, comes from Tyndale's English translation. This word was not an English word before uh, Tyndale translated it this way in 1530. And what he understood to be the case was that the underlying Hebrew was a compound of, of two words, one of goat and the other of the verb going away. And so you have this, this idea of the goat going away. And this way of understanding the Hebrew was in line with the older translations. The Greek Septuagint went this way. The Latin Vulgate uh, went this way. And I personally would lean that way uh, as well, though I understand others may, uh, may want to, to go differently. But either way, I think the important thing is not so much the way by which we translate it, whether it's scapegoat or azazel, but actually to understand how this goat functioned and how this unfortunate animal directs our minds to the glories of what Christ has accomplished for us. But Lord willing, more, more on that here in a few moments. In verses 15 through 19, we see what happens with respect to the goat whose lot uh, was for the Lord. This goat, which was to be the sin offering for the people. This goat is slaughtered. Its blood is taken inside the veil into the, the holy place. Its blood is used in the same way uh, as the blood of the bull that Aaron had previously taken in there. It was sprinkled on and in front of the mercy seat. Verse 16 gives the reason why. He shall make atonement for the holy place because of the impurities of the sons of Israel and because of their transgressions in regard to all their sins, and thus he shall do for the tent of meeting which abides with them in the midst of their impurities." And so atonement was made because of all of their impurities, or the ESV translates it, I think, helpfully as uncleanness, and also because of their transgressions. Their uncleanness and their transgressions created a barrier between them and the Lord. Those uncleannesses and transgressions contaminated not only themselves, but also the tabernacle, the token of the Lord's presence, which was in their midst. And this day... Uh, of atonement was to make atonement for the holy place, for the tent of meeting, and for the altar, and for the sins of the people. In verse 20, uh, we see those three things there together. Um, he says this, he says, When he finishes atoning for the holy place, and the tent of meeting, and the altar, he shall offer the live goat. And we also see those three uh, showing up also in verse 33, where it says that he makes atonement for the holy place, or excuse me, for the, the, uh, the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar. So we've got these three things, the, the holy place, the tent of meeting, and the altar. And, and by those three, I think this is where the geography that we discussed at the beginning comes, uh, comes in handy, is what he's, what he's speaking of, the holy place is clear, is the atonement that's made inside what we sometimes call the holy of holies, where the mercy seat is, blood is sprinkled there, and then inside the tabernacle, is uh, in, in reference to the kind of the, the outer court of, of the temple, which are, are the, the outer court of the tent. And so you've got this, this outer court and then, and then the inner court. And so the, the reference to the, the blood-making atonement for the tent of meeting is, uh, is blood that is put there on the, on the altar of incense, which is there in the tent of meeting. And then the reference to, to the altar in that threefold list then is for the altar of burnt offering, which is right out at the outside door of the tent of meeting. And so uh, 
the regular law for sin offerings in Leviticus 4, 6, and 7 describes how the blood of sin offerings was to be sprinkled on the veil of the sanctuary, right at the, the doorway to the holy place, and how that blood was also to be put on the horns of the altar of incense. And specifically, uh, according to Exodus 30, verse 10, Aaron was to make atonement on the altar of incense, which is inside the tent of meeting once a year with the blood of the sin offering of the atonement. And so we have these, this, this threefold cleansing that's taking place for the holy place, for the tent, and for the altar. And so we have atonement being made upon the, upon the mercy seat over the Ark of the Covenant, upon the altar of incense, and upon the altar of burnt offering. And according to verse 17, no one else was to be allowed in the tent of meeting while Aaron was there making atonement. And verse 18 speaks of him going out to the altar that is before the Lord. That's in reference to the, the altar of burnt, offer, burnt offering. And, uh, and so then that, that completes the, uh, the, the three steps of the, the blood cleansing for the mercy seat, for the altar of incense, and then for the altar of burnt offering. And then when that atonement is finished, we proceed to read about the live goat, the scapegoat, verses 21 and 22. And there we see, Then Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the sons of Israel and all their transgressions in regard to all their sins, and he shall lay them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who stands in readiness. The goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to a solitary land, and he shall then release the goat in the wilderness. And so this is the one explicit case in the law in which the sins of people are transferred onto an animal. Aaron is to lay both of his hands on the head of the goat, confess over it all the iniquity of the sons of Israel, all their transgressions, and lay them on that goat, and then the goat is to be sent into the wilderness by the hand of a man who stands in readiness. These sins were to be taken away and borne on this goat outside the presence of the Lord, outside the, the camp of Israel, out into the wilderness, into a solitary land. And then following those, those pivotal sacrifices, those sin offerings, the, the bull and the goat for the sin offering, and then the sending away of the scapegoat, then verses 23 through 28 delineate how the events of the day were to be wrapped up. There's the, after the, the sending away of the scapegoat, Aaron is to come into the tent of meeting. He's to take off those linen garments which he had worn in the holy place. He's to bathe, put on his clothes, and then come out and offer the two burnt offerings as seen in verse 24. These are the two rams, the, the ram for himself and his household and the ram for the sons of Israel. These are to be offered up on the altar of burnt offering. After this, he's to offer up in smoke the fat of the sin offering, namely the fat from the bull which he offered for himself and the fat from the goat which was the sin offering, both of whose blood had been taken into the holy place. And uh, then according to the law for sin offerings, the burning of the fat of sin offerings is to take place on the altar of burnt offerings, that altar which is at the door of the tent of meeting. And so now that the, the sin offerings have been offered and the burnt offerings have been offered, then verse 26 turns our attention to what happens to the rest of the characters in this drama. 
Verse 26, we see uh, what was to happen with regard to the man who had taken the scapegoat out into the wilderness. He's to wash his clothes, bathe in water, and after that he can come into the camp. Verse 27 directs our attention to the flesh and hides and refuse of the bull and goat of the sin offering. And if you recall back to, to what we had seen earlier in the, in the book of Leviticus, in the case of sin offerings, if their blood had been taken in and, and sprinkled on the altar of incense, sprinkled at the veil, those hides and flesh were to be taken outside of the camp and burned. And so it was here with these uh, sin offerings on the Day of Atonement because their blood had been taken in and sprinkled on the altar of incense and even more, especially on this day, blood had been sprinkled on the mercy seat. They were to be taken outside the camp and burned. In verse 28, we find instructions concerning the man who actually did the burning of the hides and the flesh. Just like the man who had taken out the scapegoat, he's to wash his clothes, bathe in water, and then afterwards come into the camp. And then verses 29 through 34 round off the instruction of the chapter, demonstrating when this day was to take place, speaking of the conduct of the people on that day, and then wraps up with a summary of what was to happen that day. The day was to be the, the tenth day of the seventh month. The conduct of the people was to be such that they humbled themselves, whether it was native-born Israelites or whether it was aliens sojourning among them. According to verse 31, this was to be a solemn Sabbath or a Sabbath of Sabbaths so that they may humble their souls. And then verses 32 to 34 gives the, the summary of what all was taking place on that day and concludes with a statement of Moses' compliance. Just as the Lord had commanded Moses, so he did. Now that, in brief, is the, the ritual that was to take place on the Day of Atonement. And so, then how did these rituals foreshadow for us the work of Christ, the great atonement that is found in him. Well, Hebrews 9, that chapter that we read at the outset, gives us, I think, the most thorough comparison that we have anywhere in Scripture between the work of Christ and what was taking place here in Leviticus 16 on the Day of Atonement. And what we find in Hebrews 9 was that the earthly tabernacle, this tent of meeting here in the wilderness, described here in chapter 16, was a copy of the heavenly reality. The high priest entered into the holy place of that tabernacle yearly with blood to make atonement, both for his own sins and for the sins of the people. Hebrews 9.23 tells us that it was necessary for the copies of the things in the heavens to be cleansed with these. The copies could be cleansed with these. But the heavenly things themselves had to be cleansed with better sacrifices than these. And so the writer to the Hebrews says, Hebrews 9, 11, and 12, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation. And not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. 
Now, it's, it's interesting if you kind of flip back and forth and consider what's going on here with Leviticus 16 and what the writer to the Hebrews describes for us in Hebrews 9. It's interesting how you see some things that are, that are alike. You see some things that are distinctly different, don't we? The high priest went in with blood, but he went in with blood that was not his own. He had to make an offering not only for the sins of the people, but he also had to make offering for his own sin. Praise be to God for the difference. Jesus went into the true holy place, not the mere copy, but the true one in heaven, and he did so with his own blood. And he had no sacrifice to offer for his own sin because he himself is without sin. The high priest did this yearly, year by year. Yom Kippur, every year, 10th month, uh, tenth day of the seventh month, he had to be in there. And according to Hebrews 10.3, this is an annual reminder of sins. They get reminded every year by the Day of Atonement that their impurities defile the tabernacle of the Lord in their midst. This happens year by year. Henry Bullinger said this, he said, By this ceremony, therefore, the mystery of Christ to come was beaten into all men's brains, and once every year laid forth to the eyes of all men to behold. And with respect to the entry of the high priest into the holy place, we could say that the entry of the high priest into the holy place is, is a type or a foreshadowing of the ascension of Christ, of Christ going into the true holy of holies once for all. As John Pearson put it in his exposition of the Apostles' Creed, he said, the Jews did believe that the tabernacle did signify this world and the holy of holies, the highest heavens. And wherefore, as the high priest did slay the sacrifice and with the blood thereof did pass through the rest of the tabernacle and with that blood did enter into the holy of holies, so was the Messiah here to offer up himself and being slain to pass through the courts of this world below and with his blood to enter into the highest heavens the most glorious seat of the majesty of God. Thus Christ's ascension was represented typically. So the high priest enters into this mere copy of the Holy of Holies, having offered a sacrifice for sin to purify himself and the people. But Christ enters into the true Holy of Holies and takes his seat at the right hand of God, having no sacrifice to offer for himself, but having a full, sufficient sacrifice to offer for us. The offerings for sin that we see here, the, the bull and the goat, the blood that was shed, obviously directs us to the sacrifice of Christ on the cross for us by which atonement was made. This was the fountain which was prophesied in Zechariah 13.1 which would be opened for sin and for impurity. And so atonement was accomplished by the death of Christ and therefore, Paul speaks of Christ in Romans 3.25 as being publicly displayed as a propitiation in his blood through faith. And the word that, that Paul uses there for propitiation is, is the Greek word helasterion. And that's the same word that the Greek translation of the Old Testament, Septuagint, used to translate the word mercy seat here in Leviticus 16. And so... Paul is saying that Christ is displayed publicly as, as a mercy seat in his blood through faith. The uh, Philo the Jew reportedly said that the mercy seat was a symbol of the propitious power 
of God. And the wrath of God against sin is appeased by propitiation. And Christ is that propitiation for us. In the Old Testament time, atonement happened there at the mercy seat. And so it is not too much of a stretch for us to say that Jesus is our mercy seat. It is in him, it is by his death, that God's wrath is appeased. And if the sacrifice of the goat for the Lord symbolizes propitiation, that the wrath of God is appeased and his anger against sin is taken away, then surely the scapegoat is is typological of the fact that through Christ all who believe have the expiation of our sins as well. Our sins are taken away from us, which is what expiation means. Through Christ all our sin and our guilt that results uh, from our sins, all of them are, are taken away from us, even as the scapegoat had the sins of the nation symbolically laid on it and the goat was led away. And thus we read in Psalm 103, verse 12, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Our sins are taken away. Or Micah seven nineteen, He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. And just as the, the sins of the people were symbolically laid on that scapegoat on the Day of Atonement for all who trust in Christ, our sins have been laid on him. And so Peter says, 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds you have been healed. And this is what Isaiah had prophesied, Isaiah 53.6. The Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him, to be placed on him. He took all our sins, transgressions, iniquity, all that was against us. He took it onto himself and has done away with it. Which is why Paul can say in Colossians 2.15 that Christ has canceled the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Christ took them on himself. He took them out of the way, removed them far from us. Our sins are imputed to Christ, borne by him, and done away with by him when he died on the cross. We, we sang about that this morning at the conclusion of the Lord's Supper, right? My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. But the bad news of this is that all of those outside of Christ still bear their sins. Their sins are not taken away from them and removed. All of those outside of Christ have the wrath of God abiding on them. All who do not believe the gospel. There's no expiation. Sins are not taken away. There's no propitiation. Sins, uh, the, the wrath of God still abides against them. This is why those outside of Christ desperately need the gospel. And at this point, it might be worth pausing to consider a, a Jewish tradition and testimony from the Talmud in regard to the Day of Atonement. Matthew Henry was getting at this when he said, the later Jews had a custom to tie one shred of scarlet cloth to the horns of the goat and another to the gate of the temple or on the top of the rock where the goat was lost. And they concluded that if it turned white, as they say it usually did, the sins of Israel were forgiven. And so Apparently, they would, they would tie this scarlet cloth on the horns of the goat and tie another cloth either on a rock or on part of the, part of the temple. And 
at least according to, uh, to what the Talmud said, that would turn from scarlet to white. I wasn't there, I don't know. But what is noteworthy is what the Jewish Talmud, or the Jerusalem Talmud, records of the 40 years before the destruction of the temple. 40 years before the destruction of the temple is roughly the time that our Lord was crucified. The Jerusalem Talmud says this, 40 years before the destruction of the temple, the western light went out, the crimson thread remained crimson, and the lot for the Lord always came up in the left hand. Now I can't vouch for the truthfulness of these traditions or the truthfulness of the Talmud in this regard, but it is interesting and worthwhile to note that, again, 40 years before the destruction of the temple would have been about the time of Christ's crucifixion. And what a remarkable, even if unintentional, testimony this is to the ineffectiveness of the Levitical system once the true sacrifice had come into the world and had made atonement. And isn't that the very point of the writer to the Hebrews at some points, where he says that these old things are obsolete now that Christ has come? And so the end of, the end of Hebrews uh, chapter 8, I think, is a case in point. When he said a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. But whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. And I don't claim to be... Uh, exhaustive tonight in my treatment of comparing the typology of Leviticus 16 to, uh, to the work of Christ, but I'll mention just one more aspect of this typology here that points us ahead to our lives in Christ, and that is in regard to the access uh, to the holy place. So here in the Old Testament time, it was only the high priest who could enter the holy place into the, the presence of God, and that only once a year. Only by blood, only, as we have seen, under this cloud of, of incense, this, this cloud to shield him from the presence of God. But now that Jesus, our true high priest, has come and has entered the true holy place for us with his blood once for all, now the situation is entirely different, isn't it? The veil, you'll recall, of the temple was torn when Christ our Lord died. And so we, we read this in Hebrews ten nineteen and following. Therefore, brethren... Since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful." And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The point is we have access to the presence of God in a way that Old Testament believers did not. We have Christ, we have the Holy Spirit living within us. This is why John can say, 1 John 1, 3, that our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And so, Christian friends, please be encouraged by what we see here in Leviticus 16 regarding the Day of Atonement, because all of this points us forward to the fullness and the finality of what Jesus has done for us. Jesus has gone into the presence of God, and he's opened the way for us to come to. It's that new and living way that the writer to the Hebrews was talking about. He has shed his blood and has made full atonement for us. He has taken our sins upon himself and removed them far from us. 
So the point is, there's a lot of gospel here in Leviticus 16. So brothers and sisters, let it be good news for you tonight. Let's pray. Father, we give thanks for your way of working and dealing with your people in the world. And we thank you for the, the many things in this chapter that point us forward to the work of Christ. And what was here merely symbolic and typological finds its fulfillment in Jesus in that he really did bear our sins away. They really were imputed to him. He really did suffer your wrath in our place on the cross. Father, we are so thankful for your kindness and grace to us in all of these things. We acknowledge our unworthiness. We see your grace and kindness so clearly here. We pray, Lord, that in view of your mercies, we would offer ourselves freely and willingly to you as living sacrifices. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.